Church, good morning. morning. So I'll be doing our scripture reading this morning. So Darren, who's preaching this morning, uh, we met for lunch this Friday. And just a little background about this scripture reading. He was like, hey, John, I don't know if you've gotten a look at the scripture reading for this Sunday. I'm like, no, usually I do that the night before the service. Uh, But he's like, there's a lot of cities in here that are hard to pronounce. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, man. And I got really worried, so I was looking at it last night. So if I mispronounce any of them, that's my planning. Uh, but also, Darren picked the scripture. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be reading from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 17, and ending with chapter 2, verse 7. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. And he said, it should be taught to the people of Judah, behold, It is written in the book of Joshar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapon of war perished. And this David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam and Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you, because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. This is the word of the Lord. Great job, Jonathan, even with those hard names. I think I said there wasn't that many, but there was definitely a few. I know even Tracy and I had like a discussion about it this morning about one of the names, how to correctly pronounce one of them as well. But it was good. But it's good to see you guys all, all here on this 4th of July weekend. Welcome. Um, did everybody was able to go see fireworks this past weekend? At least 
for a lot of people. Like, I thought this year was actually really good. Like, I really enjoyed it. Like, who doesn't like watching things just explode, right? Like, I, I think it's always pretty good. But for kids, do you guys have a good time too? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I prepped my kids this morning a little bit. <laughs> That's good. No, that's great. But like for mine, I always like the the big, just the big white ones, and they kind of like kind of trickle down. Do you guys have a favorite one too? Yeah, all of them. Right, and the finale was really good too. The finale was really good too. That's good. Yeah. But I've always liked the Fourth of July as well, because just because it means a lot to me and my family. So my parents, um, their anniversary is on July Fourth, and this year will be 42 years. Which is, which is pretty cool. And there's also an anniversary coming up, I think, tomorrow in this church, Madrid's. I think are coming up on 13, so congratulations, too. So it's always a special time for us. But also, kids in the back, I don't know if you guys know this, but there are these sheets in the back, like note-taking papers, and it has the three sections. Like, what was the big idea? Um, what did you learn about God or the gospel? And then you can draw a picture. And that would give me so much joy if you guys would show me after the service of what you guys drew a picture of. I think that would be really cool if, but if you not, maybe just show your friends or your parents or something like that, too. I think it would be really cool. So let's pray, and then we'll get right down to work here. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good. You are good to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for, for this day and allowing us to be able to come and worship you and glorify you. Lord, I pray, Lord, today, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, renew our minds, open our minds to your truths, that we would be able to... Just see it in the scriptures. See how the life of David, and to see his heart pour out to glorify and honor you. Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord, in your holy, precious name. Amen. So this morning, we are going to continue with our sermon series through the life and heart of Samuel. No, I'm just joking. It's David. All right, David is such a strong character in the Bible who points us to the future King of Kings, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And last week, Vince did a good job of walking us through up to that point as well. But let's just, a couple things. So just remember that David was anointed by Samuel privately. Right, and then we always think of David and Goliath. When we think of David, David and Goliath is always a story that, we, that always comes to our mind, which is always really a good story. And just how David trusted in God at that time. But also, David had a covenant relationship, covenant fellowship with Jonathan. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that. But also through the last couple of weeks to we'll talk about how Saul persecuted and punished David, continued to pursue him. But through all of that, David still had only one desire to honor and glorify God. His heart was truly shown by the actions of his life. And David is able to share a lot of emotions. Like he, he obviously was a master of the sword, because what was it saying? I think Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So a master of the sword, but he's also just a master of the pen. And a part of this passage this morning that Jonathan read so graciously for us is a poem. A poem that shares what David's thoughts and priorities are. And through the pen, David is able to share his heart more than what I know I can definitely do. And he's able to speak it so clearly. Something that I would probably write maybe to Tracy for like a love note, or something how we kind of express our love, is we call each other babe. Like that's just... What, no matter what the circumstance is, babe, right? So, like, depending on the pitch, the tone can mean different things, right? So, like, Tracy has one. If there is a spider in the vicinity, there is a specific tone of what she says. Like, I, I don't even want to try it because of it. Right? But, but that's, like, how, our, how we can show emotion and love for that. 
So like when I say babe, like most sincere, like I mean like I love you so much. You mean the world to me. I'm so thankful for you. Like sometimes like that's sincere babe. But David is able to express it so well in his written form. And a lot of times the priorities that David shares just how just shows his heart and what he is passionate about. And then this is my main idea for you guys this morning. Passions will reveal priorities. Passions will reveal priorities. So what are you guys passionate about? Or how do you guys set your priorities? What comes to mind? For me, like family, kids, is definitely a passion and priority. Who thought of sports? We're those Alabama fans, right? Like, roll to... I, see, there's always so many. And they're passionate about it, right? That's fantastic. Roll Tide, right? That's great. And through this passage of scripture here this morning, I have three things that David was passionate about and how these passions were his priorities. The first one is God's people. David was passionate about God's people. We're going to see that how he cared for Saul. Yep, cared for Saul and Jonathan and just the nation of Israel in general. And the second passion is God's faithfulness, his dependence on the Father who sustained him through it all. And the third passion is just God's glory, making sure that God is the one that got the priority. God is the one that gave him, that gets all the honor and glory. So let's just jump right into the first point here. David wanted Israel to remember King Saul. He, David wanted Israel to remember King Saul, remember him and his son Jonathan in a very positive way. So David cared for God's people. So in this poem of lament that we're going to be camping in a lot this morning, we see how David was passionate about Saul, preserving the memory for Saul in a positive way. But think of all the hardship Saul caused David. Saul threw spears at him, punished him, pushed him out, tried to hunt him down, like had war parties to try to hunt him down in order to get him. There's so much pain and suffering for David. But also we're going to be looking at Jonathan. Right? If you know the story of Jonathan, like this lament makes sense. They were so close. They had that covenant relationship of fellowship. I think Vince, yeah, Vince preached about it a couple of weeks back as well. So we jumped ahead in the life of David just a little bit, but in order to kind of set the stage of why they're lamenting, why they're, why they're crying out to God right now, and why David wrote this poem, we need to look back just a little bit. So in the last chapter of 1 Samuel, the Philistine army had Israel on the run. Saul and his sons were just in a fierce battle, and David was not in this battle, but he was, a, he was going to be, but on the Philistine side, because that's where currently David was living at this time. So David and his men were all geared up, armored up, ready for battle. But then the Philistine commander saw David, like, what are you doing? Get out. We don't want you to be in this battle. Because they were afraid that, that David and his men would possibly turn on them. Right, there's a lot more different kind of in the story, but I'm just kind of going over some general highlights. All right, but back to the battle here. So David, David was not in it, but Saul and his sons were. So Saul's sons died. The archers of the Philistines badly wounded Saul. So he probably really couldn't escape at all. And Saul gave up hope. He gave up hope, and he fell on his sword. And then when the Philistines found Saul and his sons, they cut off their heads, and then they took Saul's armor, that same armor that protected him, that same armor that the Philistines probably once feared, and they put it in the Philistine temple. And then they rejoiced. Right? Their enemy king that they've been battling for years is finally dead. Like They were celebrating and they sent out messengers throughout the Philistine land for them to be able to see that. 
Now, so those are just kind of the few highlights. But I really do encourage you, as we continue on to this series of the life and heart of David, that you continue to read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So then you guys can kind of get all the stuff that, that, that's in between as well. Because this word is powerful, right? It is more exciting than the fireworks that we just saw. It is powerful, and it can change our hearts down to our soul. And now for David. When he first heard of the news of Saul and Jonathan's death, right, he was stunned. He's been away from Israel for, for several years now, and he didn't know how long he was going to have. He was maybe even hoping to possibly return, maybe even reunite with Jonathan and Saul, maybe try to bend or mend that relationship that they had with them. So in 2 Samuel 1, 11 through 12, it reads, Then David took a hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his, and his sons, for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel, because they had fallen on the sword. Fallen on the sword. They wept. They cried. They reacted. As soon as they heard it, they reacted. They a lot of times when we hear information, we don't really process it. We just react. That's kind of what David is doing here as well. But then after David had some time to process it, he wrote this lament. I had some artists from the Sanders family help me out this morning to help create some illustrations. And the first one here is, um, is by Mackenzie. But you can just see, this. so this is David. You just see the sadness. See his arms just drooping down. Just feel the weight of the sadness that is on him. And you see like what he's thinking about there. If you can see that, it has like, I think, gravestones, has an S on one and then a J on one as well. And just the, the heaviness of the sadness. Capturing these moments like this, this helps us process things as well. So when David wrote this poem in the book of Gasher, this book was a collection of Hebrew poems that were most likely like historical records of Israel's wars and just great men of battle during that time who were just honored in this last book. Right? Events need to be written down, otherwise we would forget them as well. Like we have a president's book at home about all the different presidents and each it's only like a page long for each one, but it has like different historical facts that each one's do. I know for your CC families, man, we sing songs all the time about historical facts. These poems, different chants to help us remember different things as well. It definitely just helps us out. And that's what David tried to do. He tried to create something that people will be able to remember. Try to remember. And also for this book of Gasher, it was written um, one other time in the book of Joshua when, the, when uh, Joshua led the Israelites against the Gibeons, and the Lord made the sun and moon stand still until the battle was over. Think of that for a moment. The sun and moon stand still. They wanted to capture that moment right, in this book. Right? That's how important Saul and Jonathan are as well. They wanted to capture these memories of Saul and Jonathan in this book. All right, so let's get back to the main point here. David's passion for God's people. So I always like to start with the easier one first. Let's start with Jonathan. That's always the easier one. Because that makes, that makes sense to us. It's not a, very, it's not a surprise. Because Jonathan swore his allegiance to him. And especially when Saul's jealousy, his hardness of heart, his anger, his frustration towards, towards David, it was Jonathan who kept David safe. It was Jonathan who helped him get away. But also just think for this for a second. And I think this is the most important part. Jonathan was the next in line to be king. He was the crown prince of Israel. Just think of that, like, does that ever happen in history? That somebody would just lay their, their, their kingship down throughout history? No. Typically, younger brothers would kill older brothers, 
Uncles would kill their nephews. Sons would even kill their fathers. Just think of that. This, but Dave, I'm sorry, but Jonathan humbly served and gave that to David. That's such a kind of self-sacrificial covenant love. That's why David wrote that it's better than even a romantic one. Just think of the passion that he had for him. In verse 126, it says, Jonathan lies slain on your high places, and I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of a woman. Surpassing love of a woman. Just that passion that he has for Jonathan. What a dear friendship. Like, I can almost sense like the tears forming in his eyes. Those memories right, that they once had together, those conversations that they had, a dear friend is no longer with him. Right, this lament makes sense. But how the mighty have fallen. I always try to preserve memories. And a memory that, that I hopefully cherish for a long time, for the rest of my life, is, is with my grandpa. So my grandpa passed away, I think, about 14 years ago now. But something that we did together, when I was probably, I'd say, 10 to 12-ish years, years old, we, we were up, at, so up in the cabins, his, his office. It was a bright, sunny day outside, and we are sitting in his office, and we could see the big, throughout the big window there, sitting on, I think, like a day bed. And he brought out this um, Abbott and Costello comedian-type set. If you know Abbott Costello, maybe 40s, 30s-ish, right? It was like the who's on first, what's on second type of thing. And he had this old paper. I actually still have it today. I should have brought it. But, but this old paper, and it's, he read Abbott and I read Costello, and we read this whole thing. And he was so patient with me. I know I struggled through some of the words and just always got confused. But we read through this whole paper, just preserving those memories that we have with those special people. Let's hold on to those memories for those people as well. I'm sure that you guys have lost loved ones as well. And it hurts. And it hurts. And it's okay to lament. It is okay to share, to preserve those memories that you have with them. Even with our kids. They go through hard things too. Their friends leave. This military community, people leave all the time. Families, PCS, hardships. We need to be there for them and give them guidance. Talk with them about their struggles. His family, we need to share with each other to help process these things. Lament and sentence, like with our kids, but also with each other as too. All right. Now that the easier one's out of the way, excuse me, let me get this. I don't talk a lot, so I get nervous all the time. All right, so now that the easier one's out of the way, let's, let's go over salt. Why did David lament over Saul? In 1 Samuel 13, 14, it's, this is where, where David was a man after God's own heart. He was committed to God's ways. So how was David committed to God's ways? He cared for Saul. And you recognize that Saul was Israel's first king. First king. But also, even more important, that is Saul was God's anointed king. This shows that just David was so loyal Saul, even when the king's death would benefit him. This was a huge deal. Like, not even did Saul die, but Jonathan, who could have, been a, a, could have been a struggle with the people around him, thinking that it was Jonathan who was supposed to be raised back up. But no, it was, it was David. And then even through when Saul's heart turned hard, God still used him to bring people of Israel together. 
David had several opportunities, but we talked about before, to overtake Saul. So this lament, this lament, this song, this poem is not just about the revealing, it's not about the, re- the revealing the true character of Saul, because we can look back and his character probably wasn't, wasn't all that good. It wasn't how selfishly sought David's life. The king who stubbornly resisted God's will. No, this poem is about the revealing of Saul's successes and his just military ability. That's what David tried to focus on in his lament. So Saul's success in verse 22 says, The Saul's sword turned not empty. Right? He was a strong warrior. If you guys remember why he was chosen king, he was a big, strong dude. He was what, a head taller than everybody else. I know sometimes when a new family comes in here, it's like, yep, that's a Marine. Right? You can just tell. They just have that presence. Like Jonathan, when he walks in, like, yep, he's a Marine. That's great. Right, so he won a lot of battles for them. He was a good warrior. All right, then in verse 23, it says, Beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not, not divided. So this is Saul and Jonathan, and just their father-son relationship. So yep, they died on the battlefield together. But just think, previous to that, they were always together. Saul was probably a pretty good dad to David. I mean, to, to Jonathan. This... He was probably proud of Jonathan. He wanted the best for him. He wanted him to be set up to be the next king of Israel. He talked with him about different plans. But just so happened that those plans were to try to kill David, and then Jonathan told David. But, right, and they also shared meals together as well. Saul had many sons, but Jonathan is the only one that is mentioned throughout these passages that we've been talking about. That's just how important, I think, that relationship, the father-son relationship with Jonathan and Saul were. Then one more thing, when verse 24 it says, You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, and put ornaments of gold on your apparel. Because before Saul, before becoming king, the people of Israel had judges for about 300 years. Then God raised up these judges because the people continued to walk away from the Lord. In Judges 2, 18 through 19, it says, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after their other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So God raised up judges to bring them back to him. And then they fall back, and then they go back. So over 300 years of that, that's a lot of, a lot of frustration for those people. So Saul brought a sense of just continuity to the Israel people. Then there's one last thing as well. David was passionate about the memory of Saul, that he did not want Israel's enemies to even know that their king has fallen. So at the beginning of, of the lament, it talks about Gath and uh, Ashkelon, are two of the largest cities of the Philistines. Ashkelon is still there as well. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. David did not want the Philistine people to celebrate. Remember when David killed Goliath? Right? The people celebrated. Right? You gotta think, the Israel king was done. The Philistines were celebrating, but David did not want that to happen. He's, so that's why he focused on that. But in this poem, if you guys realize, there is not one negative thing said about Saul. Not one. And think about even reading through 1 Samuel. Did David ever say one negative thing about Saul? No. 
Not one. But he has lament and sadness here. So man, David was so passionate about God's people, and he wanted people to remember, remember Israel's first king in just an affirming way. David's priority was to preserve the memory of Saul and Jonathan in a positive way. Are we that passionate about people? If we truly believe that all people are created in God's image, I think we would treat people differently, think of people differently, care for people differently. But a lot of times we are pushed with, we are quick to push people aside when they do or just say something that, that possibly offends us. We're quick to judge, quick to get angry. And the sad thing is that it can be people in our own family. It could be parents with kids, kids against parents, but also brothers and sisters in Christ too. How quickly we push people away. So is there somebody maybe that you've pushed away? Or maybe there's somebody that's pushed you away and you just haven't forgiven them. There are broken relationships, broken hearts. And to be honest, I think if, if Saul did that to me, would I be able to do that? Probably not. That is, and it's humbling to see how David's heart was just so towards honoring God that he still, throughout all of what Saul's things that he did towards David, he still tried to preserve that memory of Saul in a positive way. And then we can see how Jesus laments as well. One verse that I'd like just to focus on is in Matthew. It'll be on the screen here. So Matthew um, 23, verse 37. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her broad under her wings and you are not willing. So can you hear what grieves Jesus here? Just the spiritual blindness, the wickedness, the stubbornness. Jesus has been talking here with the scribes and the Pharisees and pointing out, on pretty much like singling out that, out that there are false principles of how to obey God's law. And they were pushing people out. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus changes their hearts and he brings them in. He cares for them and he loves them. Because in a few chapters earlier in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for, my, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So Jesus does not push people away. He brings people in. Let us be a church that brings people in and shows them the love of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my next point is, is, this, is remembering God's faithfulness. And this shows how David was dependent on God, on God because unlike us, God is always faithful. So David was just, he was honestly physically handed the crown of Israel. Right, this is a critical moment in the life of David and just the transition from Saul to David. And what he does next is important because of how he's going to lead that nation of Judah and Israel. The land that was promised to God's people. So what did David do? He remembered the faithfulness of God. Threw out his life and went to God for direction. I thought about this for a little bit. Because think about what David was a young boy as a shepherd. Taking care of his father's sheep. He sit in the field all day long. It's not like he had a, a phone to kind of scroll through. Right? He had to occupy his time with other things. Maybe he, he practiced swordmanship. Right? The master of the sword. They sing praises to God. 
but he's just watching sheep eat, bringing them to water, maybe chasing off things and bringing them back to a different pasture as well because the sheep need to be moved around. But sitting there in the field, being able to see, obviously, the power of God as well, just seeing it in the wind, seeing it in the landscape, just seeing it in the detail of different creation. Have you guys ever just sat at the beach and just looked out and just the vastness of the ocean, how large it truly is? Hearing the waves crash down. I like to snorkel, so just seeing the detail of the different fish. Here's a picture to kind of help you guys get your juices flowing of getting that image. And you can just see here in a second of just the palm tree. You can just hear it in the wind. The crystal clear blue waters being, you can see through that and sitting on the beach. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But take a moment when you go to the beach next time or get a quiet moment. You just see just God's beauty through all of it. Like even though shepherding probably felt like a pretty boring, menial task, but God used it to prepare him to be king. Just out of a great nation, throughout all those private areas of David's life, he could fall back and remember God's power and God's faithfulness before, before he put it into public life. Then David turned to God and directly asked him where he should go. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of the Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So when God responded, David took everything with him. He took his family, he took all of his men, and all of their families too. He was not, he was expecting not to go back there. He trusted in God so much that he didn't say, like, well, I'm just going to leave a couple guys here just in case. No, he took everything with him. He trusted in God so much because he remembered of what God has done for him. And he listened and followed instructions. And what a concept, right? Listening and following. But we'll get back to that point in a little bit. And I always... But for me, it always had to be like in the back of David's mind. Of when is it going to be my time? Remember, because he got anointed about 15 to 20 years prior to this. So he's just sitting there waiting. When is it going to be my time? You, I, for me, like, we always plan so much in advance. right? But what did David do? He still patiently asked God. We could probably have a whole sermon just on David patiently waiting. He waited. For 15 to 20 years, that's a long time. But he still seeks the guidance of the Lord. Then we come to the anointing of David for the second time. So Samuel privately anointed, but this one here was public. Public to see and to recognize just his rule over the southern Judah, southern Judah area. And we can quickly read over this because it's just one short little verse. And not think too much of it. But let's remember God's faithfulness through this. This event signifies that divine intention was beginning to be fulfilled. Remember 15 to 20 years prior? Now, now he is becoming king. God's will is being done. God's plan is being accomplished. There is still a lot of work to be done, but this is the start of the beginning of that. How cool is that, right? We skim through these verses sometimes and we just see his beauty through it. And then look at this picture of David being anointed. Right, he's like, anointing, you got oil, probably covering the eyes, probably can't see that well. But he has, still has a big smile on his face. <coughs> Remembering God's promises. I think that's great. And now for my last point, David is passionate about glorifying God. Because David was never a man who tried to seek some fame or fortune for himself. 
He wanted to point people to, to his king, to his savior. We could probably go verse by verse, but let's just, we're just going to look at a few verses here. Um, verse 19, the focus on your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. I think your glory is so central here. Because starting this poem out with this short little statement signifies that God is the one that puts Saul in charge to govern his people, to govern God's people. God put him in this position for a specific reason. It's not because of Saul did anything. God is the one that put him there. Then in verse 21, You mountain of Galboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you. The mountain here, this is where Saul was killed. But David gave God glory through this because he knew who is the one that controls the wind and the rain and even the dew. God is. He's glorifying God, recognizing that. And this is, a remember, a poem that the people should wish to remember. And then in chapter 2, he glorified God by honoring the people that risked their lives to retrieve, to retrieve Saul's body and buried him properly. If we see that, he, um, let's see, when the told, yes, David was saying, sent messengers to the men of Gabesh Gilad and said to them, may you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done these things. So now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So David recognized the people that honored God. Remember, like, if you look back, back to 1 Samuel, they had Saul on a Philistine city, like, hung up there. But these people went to go get his body as well as his son's, and that is how he glorified God, by recognizing them as well. So, remember I talked about listening and obeying? Let's, let's go into that for a second. So David glorified God by listening and obeying. He didn't stop. He didn't question. He didn't think like, no, I'm not going to go to Hebron. Let's go to Jericho. And Jericho is dead or whatever type of city. No, he listened and obeyed. So kids, I have a question for you. You guys listen and obey to your parents right away? No. I know I didn't as a kid either, so I'm in the same boat as you guys. But also adults. Do we always follow what the Word of God says? No. There's a lot of times we think our own way is best. I think we compare to God's way. We think that we know more. Our hearts are quick to wander consistently. Right? Because our passions reveal our priorities. Many of you are passionate about using your gifts for God as well. So I have a couple of people here that I like to point out. So Caitlin Kirby, you are a master designer. Thank you for taking your passion that you have for caring for the children's building and creating a plan, developing it through, and now seeing it through. Thank you. Your passion is beautiful, and thank you. And also recognize the children leads. So I've seen some of here earlier, Elise, Joy, Teresa, Megan, Ruby, you guys passionately care for our kids by not only scheduling, but taking the time to teach, to guide, to know Jesus and make him known. Thank you. And then I have one more as well. They're not going to like it, but it'll be okay. Derek and Alicia. <laughs> Just, you guys humbly serve so faithfully, always in the background, doing your thing, humbly serving. Thank you guys.
You guys do such a great job. Sharing their passions for caring for people. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And I know there's so many more people in here as well that passionately care for people, passionately use their gifts to glorify God through this church. So thank you, guys. All right, so let's get back to the poem. Did you guys all see what it says here three times, though, throughout this short poem? How the mighty have fallen. The mighty King Saul died. Jonathan, his son, died. Eventually, David dies. The true, but the true king, Jesus Christ, has not fallen. He will never fall because he is the king of kings, lord of lords, the savior of the world. I had these three points this morning because I believe they really focus on the framework of faith. So let's just walk it backwards for a second here. So when our passion is to glorify God, we're not concerned about the little things around us. We prioritize eternal things. We think of things that are more important than just us. We focus on who he is and what he has done for us. What Jesus Christ has done for us. A quote from A.W. Tozer that I thought a lot about before, and I continue to think about this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So this is just not about God the Father, but it's about God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. What comes to our minds? A verse that comes to my mind is in John 1, 1 through 2. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Then in verse 5, it talks about him being the light, the light of the world. So Jesus is fully God from the beginning. Jesus is light, the light of the darkness that we all need. Jesus, who is fully God, that is what makes him, that's what makes him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Because we are rebels, and we need to be rescued. And it's nothing that we have done. It's all done by Jesus Christ on that cross. He is the one that took our transgressions, took our sins, that we can be saved. Because Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no man should boast. It is all on Jesus Christ. We have no part in that. Jesus Christ is the one that paid it all. And this gift will shape how we are passionate about remembering God. Remember God's faithfulness and make it a priority to rehearse those just in our own lives, but also with the people around us as well. We come together as a family, united on the gospel of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Remember his redemptive saving work. And then with our priorities aligned with God's, we'll want to be compassionate towards others as well and continue in the work that God has for us to go and share the gospel. So Pillar family, let our passions be to know him and to make it a priority in our lives to make him known. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You have been so faithful, Lord, when we are not. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for showing us your beauty, your power, your glory throughout creation. Lord, we thank you for working in our hearts. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for changing our minds or focusing on our minds to know you more. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for showing us David's heart here and his passions, Lord, his passions for people, his passions for remembering your faithfulness, and his passion, Lord, to honor you. Lord, as we continue on with this worship service this morning, let us sing 
sing at just a joyful noise to you that is pleasing to you. In your holy, precious name, Lord. Amen. Thank you.